and welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, 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 oh. oh boy, that is a good scream. And you're with your hosts, The Dice Men. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we make this podcast happen. And of course, you, the listener, all ten of you. <laughs> Our throng of tens. That's right. We could fill a tavern with that. Almost. Yeah, you know, it could. It, there could be a rousing game of darts. Or droughts. Yeah, drafts. Uh, no, it is once again that time. It is our Topic Tuesday. Yeah, Topic Tuesday. We got a good one for you, so hope you stick around and don't quit midstream. Um, we'll keep you entertained, hopefully, throughout this podcast. And, of course, uh, with our host, the Anchor Podcast System, Brought to you by them. Uh, we'll be doing an advertisement and plug for them shortly. But uh, we'll get some things out of the way as Tuesday goes. It's been a rough week for us here at the Dice Screen Podcast. Lots of things going on and lots of changes, so hopefully you'll like them. Uh, we're getting more invested into some more serious topics along with some rants, so let us know what you think. Yeah, we're, we're going to continue the back and forth between uh, Preform Rant uh, Friday and Topic Tuesday. Now, this is Topic Tuesday, so, you know, he's not kidding. We do have, I think, a particularly uh, noble, nearly mm. divinely inspired topic. Indeed. Yeah. And just just to veil it, of course, you've already seen the headlines, so, yeah, we're not really fooling anybody here. Yeah, but, you know. Hey. But we like to pretend, and that's important, too. Yeah, but you've come to expect <laughs> that from the threadbare t-shirt of gaming podcasts that's seen its better days. Ah, the, the threadbare rock logo uh, t-shirt of yesteryear. That, that like, 1978 junior high era uh, Iron Maiden t-shirt that oh, well. you know, probably should have been thrown out 30 years ago, but no! No. Got it folded up neatly in a cupboard somewhere. No! Can't let it go yet. Yeah, it's got holes and stains, but each one tells a story. <laughs> and that's what we are. One of those stories is, uh, after the age of 30, do not jump into a mosh pit. Mm. <laughs> I learned Sage that advice. the hard way. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not saying I didn't do well. I did well that night. It was when it was time to wake up the next morning. Guys in their 30s do not wake up with the same... Uh, carefree attitude that guys in their teens wake up in. Uh, and if you have been in a mosh pit at one o'clock in the morning in a nightclub in Chicago, uh, wow. Uh, just gonna say that that morning wake up call is nightmarish. Mm -hmm. I was, I had to be carried to the car. Not oh. proud, but I am honest. So. <laughs> uh, well, you know, at least you're that. Yeah, but uh, we'll be right back after these short messages, and of course, hopefully, you stick around for our topic coming right at you. So stick around. All right, and welcome back. We're here with the topic, so let's get into it. The quest. Oh yes, the quest. Little light goes off over your head. Bing. Little exclamation point glowing. Hey, come over here and check this out. I have a quest for you. Oh, really? Why, what would that quest be? <laughs> and it could be anything. Uh, it's become a part of practically every game. And I think it's a worthy topic. Uh, since 
the quest does not start with D&D. Uh, doesn't even start in the 20th century. For this, we gotta roll back the hands of time. Thousands upon thousands of years. Uh, back into the dim recesses of history. Uh, which I find really cool. Yeah. You know, let's shed a little light on those dim recesses. Because the quest, which is so central to the games we play today, including Dungeons & Dragons, has a long and glorious history. Uh, it is something that has just been a, a contributing part of the mythologies of, well, pretty much every culture on the globe. Uh, it's universal. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, is very much how I feel about D&D. It's something that, that offers a connection to ancient, awesome themes uh, that people connect to. So why not the quest? And, of course, the quest is as ancient as you want to make it. Of course, uh, you know, some quests are much more clearly defined than others. Sometimes they can be going for the Holy Grail, or they can be looking for a lost item that uh, needs to be destroyed, that has recently resurfaced. Uh, defeating a monster that plagues the land. Mm -hmm. uh, it literally fits in everywhere. You know, when you stop and think about the concept of the quest... Uh, Everything, to some degree, that appears in gaming can be tied to, like, a giving of a purpose. Uh, not always. It's not like letting the players roam wild and do what they see fit. It doesn't lead to some hilarity, hijinks, and awesomeness on its own. But quest-giving is a time-honored tradition. Yeah, in the early days of D&D, you know, the quest was kind of sublimated in the fact that you were exploring dungeons and strange new areas opened up on the map or looking for a specific location. But, you know, those quests were more sublimated to the type of adventure you wanted to play, which was most likely exploring a lost, mysterious dungeon full of tricks, traps, treasure, and, of course, strange and unusual monsters of unusual size. Monsters of unusual size. Yeah, I don't think they exist. Mm. No. Uh, the, origin, the origins of quests, at least as far as we can tell, go back to the origins of language and the origins of writing. It probably goes back much further than that. I mean, it's, it's a very safe assumption that if the earliest forms of writing include things like myths and legends of godlike figures who, you know, bestrode the earth and battled terrible forces and uh, were pushed to and fro by the whims of the gods, that language probably included those as stories uh, told by rote, uh, sitting around fires, uh, or sitting up in the night, or the entertainment of wealthy and powerful persons, even before the age of writing. But, as far as the age of writing goes, I mean, let's go back to like Gilgamesh, uh, the ancient Sumerian king of legend, mm -hmm. uh, and having to fight the great bull of the heavens, uh, having to you know, well, at least to relieve his people of the suffering of Enkidu, the wild man, uh, who plagued the area because, like a wild beast, he just tore everything apart, kicked every ass in front of him. Mm. Uh, you know, Sounds like my kind of guy. Yeah, I know. Enkidu is awesome. Uh, he's a guy who just, you know, <laughs> zero Fs given. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, far from killing him, uh, Enkidu... Uh, 
it did not have to be slain uh, to be brought to bear. It just had to be civilized uh, and <laughs> became fast friends with Gilgamesh, just, you know, right hand to left. You know, wherever one goes, the other is there. Uh, and, uh, of course, the tragic death of Enkidu, mm -hmm. which I believe was in battling the Great Bull of the Heavens, uh, is also a feature of that myth. But Gilgamesh was a quest receiver. You know, there were tasks that had to be undertaken. You know, monumental, Herculean, amazing... Well, we use the word Herculean. That's Hercules right there. Right. Was given many tasks. The Garbage man of the gods. Yeah. Origin of the term, actually. Uh, but we'll, we'll hit him next, then. But point being, uh, even in these very ancient myths from Sumeria, you see a person handed tasks that, well, uh, there's nobody else better qualified to do them. And in protection of their people, uh, they're called upon to unravel these difficulties, to work their way through these mysteries, uh, to defeat these terrible opponents. Uh, that, I, it's really one of your earliest known quest moments. Right, and of course it shows that the power and strength and character of the hero through the quest. And, you know, more appropriately, adventure fiction. Which kind of Hercules was... Action-oriented. Not a particularly bright fellow, but prone to solve all his problems with his physical strength. Oh, yeah. The, uh, well, it was... And correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be, but it was... Uh, didn't he bite the lion that had the impenetrable hide? Yep, the Nemedian lion. Uh, the Nemedian lion, uh, which he wore it as a coat afterwards because the hide could not be pierced by weapons. Mm -hmm. ah. <laughs> and also a branch of a tree that could not be easily broken because yeah. every weapon that he wielded was easily broken upon his opponents because of his massive strength. Yep. So strong, so buff, no weapon was suitable for him except a club. Yeah, which was really, you know, most of an immortal tree. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of toughness right there. <laughs> huh. You see, that's an interesting facet to a, a mythical character is that, you know, they're literally so strong the weapons in their hands snap. Uh, well, yeah, but, you know, he straightened out a river, and, of course, you see that with uh, even the modern tales of folklore in America, like with Paul Bunyan. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, still borrowing from the same myths. Uh, Hercules uh, cleaning the stables. Mm. Yeah. Diverts an entire river. Yep. Kind of cheating, but, yep, gets the job done. Spoosh! <laughs> yeah, check that out, Mr. Clean My Stables. Flesh-eating horses, my ass. Jeez. No, uh, you know, Hercules was another perfect example of the person handed these insanely difficult, convoluted tasks. Uh, handed down from above, usually by the gods, or at the very least by powerful kings. Uh, yeah. Thorny problems, Gordian knots that cannot be easily untied. And then you see the more classical uh, examples of quests, such as the Arthurian myth, the quest for the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah, we're hitting the big one here, you know? You know, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't get any more seeped in legend than that. Yeah, it is the questiest of quests. I mean, it's uh, from Le Morte d'Arthur, uh, you know, Sir Mallory's uh, adaption of 
the death of Arthur. Uh, you get the tales of the Knights of the Round Table and the quest for the Holy Grail, which yeah, that actually opened an entire fascinating branch in recent history when the translation for it uh, went from uh, Holy Grail to Holy Blood. Mm -hmm. uh, San Grail to Sang Rial, yeah. uh, which, you know, <laughs> Blood Royal. Uh, that, no, it was not an object. It was a bloodline. It, again, our historical perspective may have changed on the subject, but the mythology that carried it down to us, uh, you know, saw it more as a given quest, and the idea of the questing knight, which it was not limited just to the Holy Grail, but, you know, if they had a purpose to which they were sworn, they were excused from their oaths, uh, the other duties that they were expected to fulfill, and allowed to go roam. Just go travel until you accomplish this task. Uh, it tells us that the idea of the quest was relevant enough to act as like a relief valve on the otherwise pretty stringent requirements. Uh, that tells you something right there about how seriously it was taken once upon a time. Uh, like, I cannot do anything else until I have resolved this quest. Right, and again, it reveals the strength and character of those heroes. Fully defining them, not only as heroes, but proving their worth and metal, as they're tested throughout these trials and tribulations to complete the quest. And, of course, we go all the way back to Token, with this coming almost full circle with the call to action to destroy an artifact of great ruin and doom that will destroy everything, literally, from inside out. And, of course, you know, Mr. Tolkien, as we had mentioned before, drew from a great many references in European literature uh, and legendary. So, you know, he had an inexhaustible knowledge of <laughs> classical mythos that lurked around. I mean, in you know, honestly, you'll see this around the world, too. Uh, there are, you know, uh, heaven-sent quests, things sent by gods in uh, classical Japanese mythos, too. Mm -hmm. uh, often delivered by intermediaries, you know, lesser spiritual beings that hand off the message to uh, the mortal and say, nice. this is the thing that you must do. Uh, fascinating, you know, stories. Including the... Uh Pacific Islanders and Polynesian peoples. Oh, very much so. As well as, you know, your Mediterranean, the classical Greek uh, myths and legends of quests and tasks given by gods and by nations as well. But, you know, that's... Very much hijacked and incorporated by the Romans. Right. We, uh, uh, there are also biblical references well worth the mentioning of because Moses, you know, had mm -hmm. a quest from his god, you know, that he was... He knew what his purpose was uh, and was, you know, in the position of being the unfortunate intermediary between a divine being and an often fractious and misbehaving people, uh, you know, having to carry down ten commandments on two stone tablets and <laughs> come back, you know, like, wait, like, I went up there, went through this, you know, hiked up the top of a mountain, just talked to God alone, I carved these out for you. By the, and it literally, all it took was for me to be away for a few minutes. You got a golden cap set up. Yeah. You're holding the party. <sighs> I don't even know why I bothered to save your ass. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, it, it's tough to be 
the quest recipient. You know, it's it's a burden, not a blessing. But in fantasy gaming, uh, D&D in its early days, again, as we mentioned before, you know, it was kind of had a locale-driven adventure sense. That, you know, there was a dungeon or mysterious place that you would delve, getting loot and experience for killing things and taking their hard-earned treasure, such as it was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting more stuff so you could go down and fight tougher monsters to get better stuff. But as cyclic as it is, that is the gaming format that it was in those times, but it started to evolve a little bit. And then it became more the mysterious figure in the tavern, perhaps a hooded stranger or a noble would make a call upon these heroes or near to do wells, murder hobos. They they send out the town criers, you know, uh, with a job offer to be yelled out in the town square. Uh, And a player just happens to hear, you know, swords sought for hire. Uh. (laughs) Yep, and that's when D&D began to grow a little bit, I think. Not that it was terrible to begin with, with all the adventure locales, but, you know, it gave a sense of direction so that you know, made it easier for the DM to kind of design a scenario based around the skills of his players and or their players and make sure that, you know, the rewards and risks were com- composite to the composition of the party as well as to the skills of the players at large. I, if people wanted to go out and slay a dragon, well, here's a dragon out committing mayhem. Go to it. Hey, and I've, I've got to give a nod to those early modules, Okay. They were short, sweet, and to the point. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, look, I, I can go either way on this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm open-minded on the subject. Um, some of the early modules provided very brief intro, intros on why you were somewhere. I mean, it could be as simple as uh, the Ghost Tower of Inverness, where you're all prisoners... And they're like, go do this suicide mission. Anybody who lives and completes the quest gets off scot-free. A royal Uh, pardon. Yeah, you'll get your pardon. Uh, Or it could be as convoluted as some of the scenarios in uh, the Slavers, uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, Village of Hamlet, you know, that whole interconnected series ending with the drow. That was a really convoluted plot uh, by the time they had stitched them all together. Yeah, riddled with what would later be called side quests. Yeah, lots of little entertaining side quests. Well, it, I'm content with the memories of either of those scenarios. Either minimal intro, like, we barely know why we're here. Like, you were given a map by a stranger <laughs> uh, in a uh, tavern gambling den where uh, there was an X on the map, and he swore that there was a huge treasure there. It could be that minimalist. But the point of entry was there. There was right. something to explain. Well, how do you know that this place is out there? Or why would you even go towards it? What's the lure? And D&D always had that to one yep, degree always had that or another. line and sinker. And then when the players bit, there was the line, and the sinker was when they actually engaged. And, of course, that goes for a lot of other games as well, but it allowed a structured format. And, of course, it, as we say now, like side quests, it wasn't really that way, but that's where it grew out of. And, of course, the antecedents of D&D, the video game industry, picked up on that very quickly. Oh, and yes. And structured it in the more 
kind of tropeish fashion that it now inhibits <laughs> with you know exclamation points over villagers. You know, nearly you go into a new area in World of Warcraft and it's riddled with people with exclamation points. You're know, like, oh great. Oh boy. Yeah, got my hands full. My work cut out. Forty-two minor quest givers. Huh. Bring me four zebra hooves. Eighty-two and a half zebras later. <laughs> I have your four hooves. Uh, uh, yeah. You get half a copper and some XPs. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, it... The drop rate in those zebra hose needed to be looked at long ago. Uh, World of Warcraft, uh, you know, was predated a bit by uh, Diablo. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Baldur's Gate games, mm-hmm. the Neverwinter Nights. Yeah. Uh, all of the D&D-based games featured quests and quest givers and many of those quests were side quests they were not the main arc of the story no but the concept was there the idea that there is somebody who has something for you to do and they've started doing the kindness later on in other games of putting a little light over their head or Mm -hmm. having them auto engage you in some of the earlier games you had to go talk to every single standing person. Any type in "get e flask," and then you would have to wonder why you couldn't get e flask. <laughs> oh yeah, all right. We just struck text-based gaming. Yeah, but you know, you know, caves of Eamon. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Zork. There's, there's a there's a collection of fond memories and squandered hours. Huh? <laughs> I never did get e flask. <laughs> just had to wonder why. Okay. Get ye flask. Type it in. Backspace or backslash get ye flask. I never got past the section in Bard's Tale 2 where there was a riddle. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is the value of rote learning? I never, I never answered the riddle correctly. I never moved beyond that point. Yeah, I forget what that one was. I'm going to be on my deathbed someday. Still wondering. Damn it. I never did get past that point. What was the answer to that? What is the value of rote learning? 42. You know. <laughs> All right. Just give it up. Um. But, uh, no, beyond that, uh, once the D&D-related games had kind of set the mold, they really followed through on Elder Scrolls uh, throughout the series, you know, moving into Morrowind and Oblivion and Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dragon Age games... Uh, Knights Diablo. of the Old Republic. Oh, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's phased into science fiction, too. Oh, yeah, and uh, Mass Effect. Oh, very much so. Yeah, they were a little bit more intuitive in those rather than just, uh, you know, Bows. It's like, okay, there's a guy with a quest here. Go talk to that guy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but I guess I will. I mean, I feel compelled because there's nothing else to do except stand around and watch people run around. But, yeah, you know, again, the whole point was is that it gave not only you something to do in the video game, but more directly in uh, our wheelhouse of tabletop role-playing games. It gives a focus and gives a way for the uh, Game Master, Dungeon Master, to uh, create and engage the players constructively so, you know, that there's a kind of path to take. And, of course, if that path becomes a little railroady, sometimes that's just the nature of game in itself. You have to kind of have a structure. Yeah, and there's going to be a little of that. Sometimes no you look out. at uh, you know, look at your players. Okay, what do you want to do next? And you get, you know, 
four to six empty expressions, like, I don't know, uh, maybe we can go to, you know, knock over a dungeon or something, there's just something around. Yeah, if you have something prepared, right. But if you don't, hmm, that mysterious stranger starts to look awful inviting, doesn't he? Yeah, it, it, it's nice to fall back on the tropes. Huh. And it's there for a reason. It's not because you're lazy or uncreative, but players also look for direction. They want, just like those heroes of legend, they want that call to adventure. And, of course, the more grand the adventure, you know, saving the world from the menace of a evil ring, hey, that's a great idea. Yeah, uh, perfectly worthy. Uh, you know, and, of course, the object, the MacGuffin in this mm -hmm. instance, can be practically anything. Yeah, you know, it could be in Call of Cthulhu, a mysterious artifact where in there is... Yet another book. Oh, well, it could be a strange sarcophagus. Bunch of writing on it. Dark inscriptions, yet yeah, nobody understands. And yet there's Every murders and disappearances all around it. Every time somebody reads it, their eyes bleed. Yeah, I'll pass. Yeah, well, that, that would there definitely be... There's strange writing on the sarcophagus. I avert my eyes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that also does happen as well. But nonetheless, whatever you come to the adventure with and get the players involved is important and understanding your players is always the best key right there is knowing what your players want to do talking with them in communication is essential but sometimes when you're at a convention or an open game where you don't know really what to expect from the people coming to the table but they want to be entertained you need to have that hook and then let them bite that you know that covers the origins of the quest the ancient world real-time antecedents uh, the introduction of it almost instantaneously to D and D right from the get go, because uh, you know you got to prod, you got to cattle prod those players into like going there somehow. Uh, a lot of the early games, we didn't come there with a big expectation for a huge plot, and there are people who are upset that there is any plot at all intruding into things now. I disagree with them. I think again, a healthy balance is awesome. Yeah, you know? a little plot, a little mayhem. You know, a little of the random, a little of the, you know, certain. Uh, I, I like it all. I am, well, what can I say? I'm, I'm the immortal enthusiast. Like, I, I showed up with dice. Everything that happens after this is just going to be great. Yep, you've created a character, you've got dice, now you need an adventure. So you need something to do. And that's optimism for you right there. You know, it sounds simple, but it's a lot, a lot more complex than you would be led to believe, especially from the DMing side of the table. And that's primarily your job, is to create a campaign world that invites uh, quest, adventure, and exploration. So let's start with ideal quest givers in a current campaign world. Like, just like the, the here and the now. Let's hit some of the most obvious tropes. Yeah, early adventurers are probably not going to get a request from a king or a god, although they may. Yeah, I mean, not it's not out of the uh, question, you know, a... Uh, a group of characters, particularly uh, nobles, even low-level, still carry more uh, clout than a bunch of uh, guys in leather armor and clubs looking to murder anybody with loose change. Yeah, but look, your, your zero-level uh, militia is probably you know, like not qualified to go storm a den full of goblins. Right, but um, let's look at like uh, Return of the Rune Lords, or Rise of the Rune Lords. Rise me. of the Rune Lords. Yeah, that was uh, Pathfinder. Yeah, correct. You had to go into a small town, and you know, there's all these. It's a festival, and of course, goblins attack. So, 
right there, instant adventure. You're at a festival, and there's goblins. Okay, well, the goblins obviously don't belong there, and they want to set everything on fire and eat all the babies. So <laughs> you got to stop. Eat and all then, the babies! And then you prove yourself, and now the people of the town have a certain trust in you to get things done. Track these goblins down to their filthy lair and put an end to them, or at least convince them never to do this again. And then you discover more things along the way. But also, if you didn't want to go just slay goblins all the time, you weren't required, you could also investigate the town and find the disappearances of a few people out in the trails. And, of course, the uh, other obligatory adventure seeds that you want to sprinkle through there that you create yourself for so your players. I'm going to divulge what... <clears throat> as we... All right, loosening the belt on the kimono. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's Here we go. away. Okay. Hide the kids. The kimono is wide open. I'm going to recount uh, an exact first-level scenario, and I'm going to reference the exact quest giver. Uh, handwritten campaign. It was first-level party gathered in the tavern, nothing to do, uh, and along comes a young nobleman followed by two henchmen. Uh, both of whom were, you know, mildly capable fighters. Um, and that was the extent of their military might from this tiny village that was not affiliated with the greater town, the coastal city in which the players were currently gathered. Uh, the tiny, independent, uh, inconsequential village on the edge of nowhere was plagued by kobolds. And it was not really a problem uh, originally because the kobolds would occasionally just settle for stealing a chicken or two. You know, once in a great while. They'd come out of the wilderness, snatch a few bits of livestock, you know, maybe kill a pig and run off with it. This was not critical mass. Uh, but all of a sudden, after many, many years, the raids became intense and actually involved the death of a guardsman, of which this tiny village has but few. Uh, you know, it's just crude wooden walls, uh, a little tiny miniature stockade in the middle of nowhere, uh, and you can't keep everything inside the walls at a place this small. Uh, most of the people had outlying crofts and farms, so they need help. So they've gone into town, they, they sent the, the son of the hetman to offer reward if they can find adventurers who are willing to take up the quest and either eliminate the kobolds or get them to never do this again. Fascinatingly, the characters did ultimately take the we'll talk our way through this option. They found out why the kobolds had suddenly gotten ferocious and, you know, hungry. Uh, they were driven out of their original lair by larger, even more dangerous creatures. <laughs> so they went ahead and fought off the larger, even more dangerous creatures in the original kobold lair with the convenient hunting and easy water access that the kobolds once enjoyed and restored them to their previous lair on the condition that they do not raid the humans. Now, of course, you can't really trust evil creatures. It won't last forever. But, you know, they managed to effect a temporary peace mm -hmm. uh, while facing some level-appropriate threats. 
And it was all from an intro with, you know, a young, semi-noble uh, offering rewards in silver to the people who would travel out to this remote village and help them out. Yeah, much like the Sandpoint example, uh, Sheriff Bellor and the mayor of the town, as well as the uh, resident cleric of the five-denomination church in Sandpoint, offer reward to go track down the goblins, and you found out that they're there. They were being uh, predated upon by a much uh, more violent and inexplicable folk because the goblins had been raiding mostly their scrap piles and refuse areas outside of town <laughs> for whatever they could scavenge and usually weren't too bold or vicious. But uh, again, the same thing applies is that when you're lower level, you probably get pulled into an adventure by much the same. But it isn't out of the question that you could have a merchant who needs guards for a caravan, or you could uh, even have one of the player characters who is a wizard, his mentor or their mentor, uh, brings them a need to go and get a certain item and rewards the rest of the party as well as them for their long apprenticeship and years of servitude. Now, <clears throat> other classic quests include the Bartending rumor monger. Yeah, this the, is just like trope city, baby. You yeah, that was where like the rise of the rune lords. Like you had numerous other adventures you could do other than the main one. You know, like uh, you could talk to uh, Amiko Kaijitsu at the Rusty Dragon Inn, and she had a whole boatload of rumors. Or you could go down and uh, check out some of the intrigues in town at uh, uh, Pillbug's Potions and. You know, find out something untoward was afoot, meeting with smugglers and other shady characters. Well, and likewise, uh, people in need of specific things. For instance, uh, you know, if you have a town crier system in place, or yeah, but the bar is always, the bartender is always the one who has all the juicy and rumors. Everybody's muttering now. Hey, caverns of chaos, uh, or sorry, caves, caves of chaos, chaos yeah, keep on included a rumor table complete with. Fake rumors. Now, oh, this yeah. was also done in uh, Bone Hill, uh, mm -hmm. another classic module. But in both of these cases, rumors are not necessarily accurate or to be trusted, but they are bait. They get the players like, ah, they said that uh, a wealthy merchant went missing last week about 10 miles from here on his way out of town, never made it to the next town over. Mm -hmm. Somebody out there has got that wealthy merchant stuff, and the only thing anybody really wants back is his family signet ring, so that they have some knowledge of what happened to him. Whatever was left, if we find it, it's ours. And then you find that the merchant is being held in, by the orcs. Yeah, or ransom, but yeah, you know, whatever. captured by bandits and you know, just living out there in the woods. Uh, anything's possible. You might find him dead, but you also might find him alive. It, it's up to you to decide what to do. But a rumor can be partially accurate and just useful enough to prod the players and tease them with the promise of wealth uh, to get them out of that bar. Right, and that's where you use even the false ones and the ones that are true, always make sure that you have something prepared in case the players want to jump on it all of a sudden. And that's the big challenge of DMing right there, is sometimes you have to improv. But sometimes yeah. recycling old adventure hooks and ideas that weren't explored from a previous campaign or another adventure, those are things you can always use again and again, or keep on hand several prepared adventures just to throw at the players in case 
it's similar enough to a lot of the adventure hooks or cues and small leads that you salt your campaign with. So, as always, yes, the bar, it may be a hackneyed trope of, oh, well, I guess we'll, there's nothing to do in this town, I guess we'll just hang out at the bar, get drunk, and uh, harass the uh, tavern winches until uh, an adventure presents itself in front of us. Yeah, Meaning that's... the DM gets tired of our shit. <laughs> yeah, the Thieves Guild just doped you all with Mickey's and you wake up in an alleyway most of the way naked. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess there's nothing to go there. So yeah, always be ready, but uh, that's the trick of DMing and it's also the challenge. But the quest, you know, is more than just a oh, simple, like, is, go here, do this. It is the giant wrench in your toolkit. It is one of, like, you know, it is one of the essential ingredients in the DM toolkit of useful things to help get things done. Yeah, and you don't always have to begin with the end in mind, but you know, you don't have to always start the campaign with a grand episodic, multi-episodic long, drawn-out campaign idea that will see you all the way from first level to twentieth level, but sometimes that helps too. I was going to go there myself. Good on you, man. That is exactly where I was about to go, which it can go either way, once again. You can start with a simple rumor that, you know, it's just something that they embroil themselves in. Uh, and you can make a decision at that moment. Do you want this to be the kind of quest where it's one and done? You know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> kill the giant rats that have infested the basement cellar. <laughs> yeah, but hey, you know what? If they're paying good money. Yeah, you know, it's like that. I'll pay you a gold for every rat. Oh, oh but I got a... this satchel from uh, of potions that I've never been able to identify from some alchemist that I had to run out of here. You're welcome to him if you can clear out the rats. Well, okay, you know. Hey, yeah, there you go. Up to that. Oh. But, hey, whoops, there's a forgotten trap door. Oh. 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 And it embroils you in something that, uh, you know, even the town fathers don't want you to be involved in. Now it's become political intrigue, and yep. you know you you've worked your way into acquiring information that is critical to a duel between warring states. And wow, you're like one entire campaign later. Wow, I can't believe that happened because of a bunch of darn rats. So, <laughs> yeah, you, most of those potions were bunk anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, enemy, uh, miss enemy within anyone. Yeah, the enemy within campaign. Uh, that is, I, I just described the loose basis of the Enemy Within campaign from Warhammer fantasy role-playing. You can embroil players in something, if you wish, that has long-lasting repercussions Mm -hmm. or makes them trusted confidants of somebody powerful who is in a greater conflict. And that as they become more experienced and more trustworthy, the players can be deployed uh, as agents of that power to, you know, fight on behalf of one cause or another. Uh, Good, evil, what have you. It just means that you have a way to link together all of the disparate elements, all of the travel, all of the events. And it's not like there can't be side quests. You don't have to be straitjacketed. Absolutely not. And that's always something to keep in mind. But hats off to the quest, the quest giver, and its origin points. And D&D would be a lesser game without it. So, Absolutely. Hats off to you, all you quest givers. Keep those exclamation points glowing. Yeah, use them liberally. They just deserve all the you know credit, that trope that it may be. 
it's just one of the best parts of D&D, yeah. &D, and I'm not one bit sorry. From caverns to guild halls, you can always find an adventure in Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, there's always a note pinned on the wall somewhere. With a dagger. <laughs> yeah. Or in the back of somebody. <sighs> Scrawled in blood on the temple wall. Uh, <laughs> oh, crap. That's never going to end well. So, all right, but it will end well for uh, you. We're finally done talking ourselves to an yeah. exhausted pile. We've yammered ourselves hoarse once again. So, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, hopefully you do, you know, uh, give us a little bit of a notice and a like on our Facebook page, Dice of Screaming, or let us know on Twitter, where you can get a hold of me at Death Hand Gaming. Or myself at Match Eye Vox. All right, let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear, and what you didn't like. And if you give us a call in, we'll feature on the show. So, with that, we will wrap it up and bid you adieu. So, until then, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.